0: Hello beautiful people. My guest today is Anthony Ferraro and after finishing this conversation I wanted to run through a brick wall. I mean the story that this man has and the film that I watched to prepare for this conversation called A Shot in the Dark is incredible and highly recommend that as well as Just this conversation where Anthony broke down his self-talk, he broke down how he gets himself to go harder in workouts, and we touched on his wrestling background and what that was like. Now Anthony is transitioning to become and is a judo athlete where he is competing for the United States in the Paralympic Games. So this conversation was an absolute honor. It was an incredible one. And I'm so grateful for Anthony. If you'd like to access the video version of this podcast, you can do so at youtube.com slash Danny Miranda, and you'll find the video version with Anthony Ferraro right there. New episodes of the podcast come in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and hope you're enjoying these episodes. If you have any feedback or thoughts about any episode, this one Positive or negative, I'd love to hear your thoughts at Hey Danny Miranda. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. But until then, this is my conversation with Anthony Ferraro. Interesting people. Thought-provoking conversations. Nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. So I'd love to start this conversation with your brothers telling you that you couldn't be the fat blind kid. Because I think that's an incredible place to start. And so, talk about your decision to start wrestling and how that has played such a critical role in your life going forward.
1: No, absolutely. I think that's, I love that you bring that up. Um, So, I was born blind and like, I grew up, you know, in a huge family of like, my mom's the second oldest of 13. So, I'm the youngest of five, but I'm one of, 60 cousins that all grew up in this Monmouth County in, in New Jersey and so I grew up like skateboarding surfing you know not really like believing or knowing what blindness was and I grew up like you know just doing all these things I would hit I'd ride bikes until I like started hitting parked cars and my mom was like all right it's time to stop at <laughs> the bike you know so, um I also aside from that like I I grew up just being a part of like recreational sports like soccer and, and you know things like that and then once like I got to the point where sports became more serious it, I started realizing I couldn't be involved with like passing and things like that and like t- real team sports where you're relying on like visual cues and things like that so I also was going to school in Philadelphia at the time up I from New Jersey to Philadelphia every day uh, to. St. Lucie Day School for the Blind, where I was learning to read and write Braille and do all those things like uh, to integrate into the sighted world and be independent in aspects like that in life. And I uh, so towards the end of like, you know, by the time fifth, sixth grade, I started getting home. It would be like 430. I started getting a little lazy and watching like TV from like two inches away and like just eating <laughs> junk food and, and not doing much. And my brothers were both really active. My two older brothers, Oliver and John, like John was a state champion soccer player. Oliver took fifth in the state for wrestling. And I looked up to them a lot and they were like, man, come on, man. Like by seventh grade, I transferred to the public school in my town. So it was like no excuses anymore. So they're like, and you got to do something, man. Like you're blind, but you can't be fat and blind. Like, cause you can do something about being like overweight, you know? So mm-hmm. I took that as like a challenge. I'm like, first of all, I'm like, screw you guys. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is messed up, but uh, like you guys are brutal. But it was almost like I took it as a challenge and I'm like, fine, let's do this. And I looked up to my brother Oliver a lot and I'm like, what can I do wrestling? Like I could wrestle, you know, cause there was this blind guy named Brandon Scott who wrestled in uh, New Jersey. And I really looked up to him when I was young seeing like him wrestle and, and at the time my brother and I was like, all right, there's a way I can do that. And so I started, um, I went to the public school uh, wrestling practice, like the recreational team uh, after school program and started wrestling in seventh grade. And when I wrestle sighted kids, uh, I'm the only blind person wrestling. So I had to stay in contact constantly. So like they call it two hand start where you're, you're uh, start off two hand contact. And then like if there's a full separation in the, in the, uh, in the movement then and we're far away from each other and I have no idea where you are then we have to the referee blows the whistle and brings us back to the center so I was my seventh grade year I was terrible I went like uh, (laughs) two or three and 12 and like two of my wins were forfeits where you just go and get your hand raised and like I remember the last match of seventh grade I was like Dad, I need I need to get good at this. Like, I don't want to be just some joke, like blind wrestler, uh, mediocre, whatever. I want to get good. And he's like, "All right, Aunt. Like, let's do. Let's find a club." And he found me a wrestling club where I started going four nights a week. This guy, Mike Melanconico at Rhino, the best guy to come. uh, One of the best people to come in my life because, you know, he showed me hard work. He worked with me as a blind wrestler, like you know, showing me moves, uh, techniques, different things like that, and. I was working so hard, like four nights a week. I'd go to a tournament every weekend with my dad around like the tri-state area to try and go find the best tournaments. And I was getting my butt like kicked so bad. Like I, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even score a point at these tournaments. And I remember like leaving one tournament and I was like, Oh man, I don't know if this is like for me, you know, (laughs) like I'm getting destroyed. And finally I like changed my goal to winning instead of winning a match. Like, let me score some points And then I started scoring points and, you know, that got me motivated. And then I started winning matches and the whole, like, you start to turn this corner right before, right when you think it's like you're never going to get better because you can't see your slow progress because you're in the middle of it. You know, when you turn that corner it starts to show you, you're like, oh man, this is working. Like my hard Mm -hmm. work and all these hours like aren't for nothing. And then eighth grade comes around to end up going 23 and one and like winning the entire championship and all that
0: stuff. Incredible. And so what I want to highlight there is why you decided to get so serious about it. You could have easily taken the road of saying, you know, this isn't for me. I'm not good at this. But instead, you wanted to double down and get better. Where did that desire come from?
1: you know, I think it came from, I just fell in love with the process, like the, the training, the, I, I remember coming home from a practice and being like, dude, I got pit stains. Like I never had pit stains before in my life. Like, <laughs> I'm working hard, You know, and like this feeling of like, I would work so hard that like, you know, some nights it'd be hard to get up, to like, get, get out of the room because I worked that hard. And those were my favorite nights. And it's just like, that feeling of putting your all into something like my dad will always say you know whenever I get into something I just I'm like fully in like I'm all in and I, I basically absorb it like almost everything I, I'm passionate about in my life like I'm also a musician I play guitar and like with that I started playing when I was like 18 years old and I didn't even know what rhythm was like I was terrible and I was just so passionate about it. My dad called me stone hands. My family wouldn't let me practice in the same room as them, but I was just so passionate about it. And I loved like this climbing this mountain where you're just, you, you have all this like room to grow and like it, the growth is never ending. So like just diving into that full force and, and seeing like the, you know, reaping the benefits of it is really, it's rewarding. And it, It's not so much the wins that I enjoy. It's like I said, it's like those those practices where you just literally put your all into it. Like you have nothing left and you know you're working hard.
0: Yeah, and that's something that everyone, all of your teammates at least, talked about in A Shot in the Dark. They talked about in the movie about how you were the hardest worker and you were working as hard as anybody. And so where does the desire to get better, the desire to push yourself, the desire to focus on the process come from?
1: You know, I think it comes from a little bit of like an insecurity of being blind that I have Mm. to catch up with everyone else because I always try to like hide my blindness in the beginning of my life growing up, you know, just trying to like not use my cane to get around. I I looked like an idiot sometimes like, but I I just Mm. did it because I was almost embarrassed, like I wanted to be like everyone else. And so in order to be like everyone else, I had to work that much harder to catch up because I had a little bit of a learning curve, you'd say, like being blind or something. But I had to figure out different ways to get around that and keep moving forward.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And what happened, interestingly, in the movie was like, you know, the most heartbreaking part about it was the critics and the people who were just talking poorly about you just trying you were just trying your best in the moment to to do as best you could so how did you emotionally deal with parents believing you didn't belong and and the haters and it was it was hard for me to watch
1: i you know what's funny as you say this it's coming back into my life now i used to have people not believe i was blind and think i was just trying to get an unfair advantage because crazy like you know decent at this sport and even in 8th grade i uh at my championship match i was losing 13 to 3 with like 30 seconds left or 45 seconds left and we're on our feet and i end up throwing the kid to his back and you know just my my dad taught me he's like never give up till the end you know you never give up and so i i take that with me and it's like also, my mom is like she she's one of the toughest people in in my life, like in a in the best way possible. Like raised me in you know to be independent and and never give up, and that kind of just translates over to everything I do. And you know when I was I won, I end up winning. I throw this kid to his back and pin him. And the crowd goes crazy. I'm an i I'm like 13 years old, man. I'm like <laughs> so pumped, like you know. But like not really showing it like that. I was always humble. Every time I won, I never like jumped or like you know did anything like that flashy and i remember leaving the match like leaving the mat i just won like the whole championship in eighth grade i'm so excited the dad comes over to my dad and says your son doesn't belong in this sport it's unfair to my kid that he has to stay in constant contact it's an unfair advantage he should go into the special olympics he should try some other sport he does not belong here and it was like i remember being 13 years old and being like how could you like take away all this hours and hard work that I put into something and, and discredit it all to being an unfair advantage where we only have to stay in contact because I can't see you if we're not in contact, trust me, I'd give you everything I could, everything I have in my life to be on the other end where I have to stay in contact with the blind kid and, and I'm the sighted person, you know, it's like, I understand that it could change, you know, because uh, like it could change someone's style a little bit because people in, in high school and things like that are used to like wrestling like far away from each other. But if you study like any high, high level wrestling, it's like they're always in constant contact and you always have to be in hand fighting and, and like constantly going. And it was just like. I remember being so pissed off, man, like my dad, uh, like I learned in that moment, like we really need to forgive people like a little later on, obviously, like after I was able to cool off. But there's always going to be these like ignorant people in our lives and we just have to keep going. And it was just crazy. How did those haters? I got to a point where we were just like laughing at them later on in high school. But like in the beginning, man, like that stuff used to really irritate me. Like I've good hearing. So like during matches, like coaches would say things that they know I could hear, but they would indirectly say it to me and then it would get in my head. And like, I would kind of like freak out or outlash, like lash out. And I had a little bit of a temper because I was like young and immature and like, you know, I'm dealing with all these extra emotions and 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 growing up like teenager and it was so much looking back. Like it was so much to deal with that. Like all I wanted to do was wrestle, you know, and I deal so much politics.
0: <laughs> How did you and your family talk about those situations where you had to deal with people? What, what advice did you get from your parents or family in general or your, uh, your coaches? Always
1: said, like, you know, you just have to laugh at it. Like you can't take this stuff to heart. Um, there's going to be people like that in your life all the time. Like my family's very tough. Like, uh, we, you know, we've been through a lot and we're, we're all close and they've really been a help in my life through that, those times. But I'll tell you, like, there's been times where I almost thought I couldn't handle it. And just being that young, you know, like looking back at it, like, you're at such a growing period in your life and like such an absorbing time where like you're so influenced by the people around you. And you have these like people saying all these like hateful things to you. But then, you know, one thing that really helped me get through that as well is like for every like hateful comment, there's like a hundred positive ones, you know? So you can't focus on the hateful ones.
0: One of the, the big parts of the movie was, you know, how this, the school, the Catholic, what was the, the CSA? What is the uh, abbreviation? Yeah. CBA. Yeah. How Christian brothers Academy, how they, they denied you and, and they, they accepted you first and then they said, no, you can't come. And, and that was a real, that was hard, hard for me to watch as well. How did you deal with that?
1: Oh man. I, I actually will never forget that day. Um, So In seventh grade, I had a handwritten letter of acceptance. It's the school my both my older brothers went to. My brother, you know, was on the wrestling team, did so well. My brother, John, was on the soccer team, state champion soccer team. And I had a handwritten letter of acceptance. They were getting my books brailled. Everything was in the process. I'm so excited. I have like the CBA wrestling sweatshirt. Like I'm all pumped, you know, Mm -hmm. and eighth grade comes around. I'll never forget because I lost to this kid in seventh grade and I remember like wanting to train to beat this kid. Like it was just one of these kids on my list for eighth grade that like I needed to beat, you know, like to know I got better. And I'll never forget. I, I, it was a home match, and I beat him, and I beat him bad. Like I beat him really good. And uh, I remember getting off that mat. Like the match after walking off the mat and the match is over. I go over to my parents. And they're so upset. They had just gotten from the meeting. They had received like a, a letter and a phone call saying, I'm no longer accepted to the school. Uh, the president had passed away and they said, I'm no longer accepted. I won't fit into the environment or the culture and all these things. And my, so my parents had a meeting with the board and, you know, people always say like, well, why didn't you sue? Why don't you do this stuff? And my dad's a lawyer. So like that option was there, like obviously whatever, but We're not those type of people. And, you know, my dad says it best where we're not going to go somewhere we're not wanted. Like they would totally like, you know, make sure I didn't succeed or something, not give me the right tools and just not be, you know, helpful. And it wouldn't have been the right environment. So it's like these things happen in your life to redirect you to better, better places, really.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about those better places and, and you end up going to a new school and the coach is highlighted in the movie and a fiery character. He's awesome. And talk okay. about your you talk about your relationship with your new coach at, at the at the high school and how that impacted you.
1: So yeah, so it went totally 360, like 180, whatever you want to call it. Uh he I go from going to this place I'm not wanted to go and I get a phone call and it's this guy, uh Coach Smith, uh Pat Smith from St. John Vianney, and he's he's really interested in me. And, you know, he sounds all excited and he goes, you know, brings me to the school, gives me the tour. I'm like, I'm like, it's a new environment where I'm actually like wanted. And like being in a private school, you have to go around some loops, to like get being a, a person so-called disabled, like to get in that school, to get the accommodations. But he fought really hard as well as my parents. And they eventually like got the school to welcome with, with open arms and it was just incredible. Like uh, you know, the experience there was I can only imagine tenfold better than what it would have been at CBA.
0: Yeah. How were friends and stuff like that? Was it a was it new friends that you had to make? Was it a new environment from that perspective? Did you yeah. know people going in?
1: I didn't know a single person and uh you know it's funny, my <laughs> My wrestling coach, uh, he was also the religion teacher, and there was this thing called Christian service that the seniors had to do for, like, extra uh, community hours or whatever to graduate, and he developed the whole thing for where there were people brailing my stuff, and like like uh so you would type in the computer and it would translate into an embosser in braille and so i would have these things in braille like handouts and stuff so he had a group for that and then he literally had a group i'm there at the first day of school and i'm all nervous like you know how am i going to find my next class i'm still like young and immature with my blindness like trying to hide it a little bit and not fully accepting it and i'm like i was sitting at class and there's like five minutes left and there's a knock on the door and it's like two like beautiful sounding ladies, you know, like senior (laughs) girls. And they're like, hi, yeah, we're here to pick up Anthony Ferraro to to bring him to his next class. And I was just like, oh, man, like, you know, I I can get used to this. This is pretty cool. It just felt he made me feel like very welcome. And like, uh, like, almost just I don't know. It's really uh, interesting, but I was scared. I was nervous. Like, I didn't know a single person. And I'm I'm the only blind person in this entire school. And to have these people even ever seen a blind person before and whatever you know like there's so many stigmas that come with it that aren't even true and it just like uh, you know I made the friends I did and I was like that type of person that you know people have their cliques that they kind of stay with and I was that person that like well why do you have to stay with a clique I kind of bounced around to everyone and talked to everyone and said what's up to everyone and like just like to socialize and connect you know
0: Mm. What advice would you give to someone who's entering a new environment for the first time and feels isolated or alone?
1: I would, uh, my best advice would be you're not the only person feeling that in that environment, even if you think you are. And, you know, reaching out to someone, just saying hello to something, someone, you know, asking them how their day is or what, what they're into, what they're interested in. Like, you never know where that leads and who that person becomes in your life, so... Just really, you know, being social and and not trying to, like, hide in a bubble and and create some, like, little nook for yourself, you know?
0: Yeah, was that something that came naturally to you or was it something that you developed later on?
1: I don't know about that. Uh, I think it just just happens. Like, I, I got thrown in these situations. Like, my dad always said, like, I don't know if you were just, like, if you're stupid or you just have the biggest balls in the world and like <laughs> you know, literally just do things like, you know, not even thinking about it. And like, why not? Like you never know until you try type of thing. So it's, it's really just that I love being spontaneous. I love just, you know, being in the moment and just trying to try whatever, you know, I, I love it. What's to example as much as possible.
0: Yeah. I love it, man. What's an example of you either being stupid or having the biggest balls in the world.
1: Uh, So like, for example, I started, uh, like I mentioned, I started playing guitar when I was 18. And by the time I was like 19, I was already, you know, had a guy that was, uh, I was playing like shows around the area. And like, I didn't know how to sing. I didn't even know how to play a full song yet, but I was just putting these, like, I never wrote down a set list in my life to this day. And, it just, it, everything flows. It's all spontaneous. And I just do it. And then, you know, I, like even I'll play so many cover songs, but so many people are like, I'll never play the solo for the cover song. I'll play like my solo. I'll play my rhythm to it. Like I'll interpret things in my way and just kind of make it my own. And it's just like, I don't know. I just love that, you know?
0: Yeah. Just always willing to put yourself out there and, and just try things.
1: Yeah. And it's it's not even like I love like attention, you know, maybe uh, mm-hmm. part of me does, you know, like I'm sure a lot of us do. But like I love that, that it's almost like a thrill, like just trying that, that I uh, like one time, one time we were in New York City and me and my fiance were in New York City and uh, we're dating for like maybe a year at this point And we're in uh, Union Station right outside of it. And there's this, like, also, it's nighttime. We're we're going to take the subway, but we're outside, and there's this boombox playing with these, like, rap beats. And then all of a sudden there's this, like, circle of, like, it's what they call a cypher where they're all freestyling. And they're going around in a circle, literally just freestyling. Like, you know, people who are obviously, like, very good at freestyling. And I, like, I stood there for a half hour just in amazement. And the whole time, like, I got to get in this. Like, I got to get in (laughs) And I'm standing there with my cane and like we're just standing there I'm like yo can I jump in like (laughs) I'm like yo you're crazy and I just did it and like ended up like it was just so spontaneous and I ended up doing so well in it that they were like oh like go again go again and like they reposted on their like stuff it was just so funny you know like I would never done that before but it was just like I felt the need to jump in and do that and I loved
0: it you know how do we convince the world to have more spontaneity in their life and to just be willing to try new things?
1: I don't know, man. There's so many people that sit home and just want to make excuses and and complain. And the first step is to just get out and like, you know, get out of your comfort zone, whatever it may be. If you don't, if you don't go to the coffee shop down the street or, you don't like going to get your groceries, like trying to go do that one time, like get out of your comfort zone, whatever it is. Like I'm constantly trying to be uncomfortable, like in that sense, because I feel like we are, we're always learning when we're in like in our, you know, out of our comfort zone and how are we going to grow if we're just used to what we're used to and, you know, just trying new things and you, you never know what's going to come out of it.
0: Yeah. One of the ways you were outside of your comfort zone, at least it seemed like in the the movie was, the workouts, the workouts were, it seemed like they were brutal and you were willing to work harder. Take us through one of those workouts. What do you do? You know, you're going hard and I'd love for you to break that down exactly what types of things you did.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it started out like just wrestling and then I wanted to get better. So Mike, Mike, who I mentioned earlier, melanchonico he introduced me to strength training and I started doing strength training with not your conventional, like, you know, sit at the bench and, and lift for like three hours, whatever it was, you go in for 45 minutes and you have a set, set, uh, routine where it's like, you know, I'm doing three, three, uh, 20 of these, 20 of these, 20 of these, three rounds. And then, you know, three more rounds of another one of, an, of another circuit. I would usually do like three circuits and three rounds of each. So it was like, I would try to simulate like a tournament, like a wrestling tournament, like, okay, first match. And then like, all Mm -hmm. right, you know, quarterfinals and then try to like make it realistic. And I fell so in love with that. You know, like I said, I love that feeling of just like almost like (laughs) where you're next to being broken where you're like, but you're doing it to yourself in, in a positive way. And, you know, there's growth to come out of it. And when I, you know, work like that, it's like my routine you know, a lot of pull-ups, a lot of body work, weight stuff, a lot of kettlebell stuff. Um, I still train like that today. Like the the only difference is it's probably just getting a lot harder. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still going harder too. And like, I'm like, I have a prison set up in my back, back of my apartment, like outside. I literally have like a, a rusty, uh, rusty barbell with some weights on it. I have like, uh, couple kettle like two kettlebells and dumbbell and then uh like a bosu ball and a slam ball and like literally like i'll just find a freaking heavy rocket from somewhere and carry that for as long as i can like any way to work out and like feel active and you know just there was i remember this time (laughs) i thought he was crazy he introduced mike introduced this thing to our wrestling club called a lock-in and what it was was i was the in the first one and I'll never forget what what I look like we you go to the wrestling club and you're there for 24 hours and you know he feeds you and stuff at the proper times whatever you bring your snacks to and you're there for 24 hours each hour there's a different workout at the top of every hour and it could take from anywhere from like 10 to 30 minutes you know whatever anywhere from five to thirty minutes however you push yourself and you get the rest of the hour to recover. And there's 24 hours of it. And I remember going through that at two in the morning. (laughs) It's amazing what your body does. Like your mind will shut off and your body will just perform. Like it's insane. Uh, I remember at two in the morning, I'm literally sleeping, like sleeping against the the wall in in the wrestling room on the mat. And Mike wakes me up and he's like, all right, all you have to do right now is 50 Uh, (laughs) pull-ups. All right. And I remember just walking, literally sleepwalking to the pull up bar, jumping up, banging out. I've never done this in my life, banging out like 50 pull ups in one clip and just going right back on the floor to sleep. And no. I was just like, I was just like, wow, you could do anything. Like, You know, finishing that 24 hour lock in like that's insanity. Like looking back to that, I'm like, I could really do anything in the world after doing that, you know? Yeah
0: yeah and it's and it's sometimes when you push yourself do you realize oh wow i could go so much further than i thought i could go and
1: even today like i was on the floor doing uh like v-ups with uh, weights in my hand and i'm like all right you have to do 100 and i'm like going so slow and i'm like what the hell is wrong with you and then i just like kicked into this gear that i forgot that i know and it like opened the whole new world Oh, wow, I'm supposed to be going so much harder than I've been going right now. And then you just get into this like whole new mindset of like, you were just going so lazy because you were letting yourself and like, we're capable of so much more than we even like imagine. It's crazy.
0: What do you do when you catch yourself getting lazy? Maybe not even a workout, but just in in general in life, like what do you, where does your self-talk go? Where do you, where do you, how do you convince yourself to start going harder again?
1: I think it stems back to that seventh grade self where my brothers were like, you can't be fat and blind. Like (laughs) when I start feeling myself getting soft or, you know, just not feeling like it, it immediately affects my mental health. Like not, you know, not, not just being lazy. That affects my mental health and in a bad way. And working out is like the biggest mental it's the biggest uh antidepressant in the world like i think we could almost all agree with that Mm. and it just when you're not feeling right you have to accept like assess the situation okay am am i eating right because that's a big factor am i working out because that's huge and even if you're not like like there was a time of the pandemic where there was like three days went by. And I was like, I don't even think I left the house. Like I'm going insane. And then I had to work out, you know, and it was like so much comes out of that.
0: You mentioned the pandemic. And so I'm curious how that has affected your life. This is, you know, we're going on now a year in the pandemic kind of. Uh, so how has that changed your your outlook on life, if at all, and your day to day?
1: Yeah, so a lot. Yeah. Um... <laughs> At first, I was living in Brooklyn with my uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, now fiance. We were living in Brooklyn, and I was training nonstop for the Paralympics. Uh, I was number one in the country, uh, number, top like 20-something in the world at the current moment uh, back then. And, you know, nonstop training. It's, I'm breathing judo. I'm, I'm waking up, walking to the gym down the street, uh, getting the most intense workouts of my life from this guy, Lenny who was like putting me through these like Marine, like boxer fighter workouts where, you know, he would almost like be like uh, one time, <laughs> one time I'm working out and he, he would like challenge me. And like, he'd be like, I right, go do 500 sit-ups, come right back. And like, <laughs> I would do it like, no problem. Like I would just, because this guy told me to, and I'm like, all right, I'm supposed to do this, you know? And you know, people would be looking like this guy's insane. And then one time, like he has this circuit where it's like pull-ups, uh, you know v-ups with the on the bar all these different crazy workouts and it's like 20 of each and he's like all right do 20 rounds and i'm like lenny you're you're freaking crazy man like, <laughs> and i'm like all right like in my mind i'm like all right but i'm gonna do 20 rounds so i get to round 16 i can't even move anymore and i'm <laughs> like like literally i'm that point of shaking where you think you're gonna pass out and i'm like yo lenny like i can't do anymore man and he's like I was like, I did 16, and he was like, Bro, most anyone did was four. I was just like seeing what <laughs> he would do. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, like and a part of that was also like uh another reason why I think I worked so hard too was being blind in the room. I think everyone around me is working harder than me. And wow, I think no one take, you know, I didn't even know until like halfway through high school that like people took breaks, like, in the room, like, (laughs) even just to, like, they'll walk in a quick, like, circle, a small circle just to, like, get their breath for a second and then go back into it. And, like, they'll, you know, kids will just be, like, dancing around, you know, like, just kind of, like, not really working as hard people hate going with me because I go a hundred percent like all the time like I think everyone around me is going nonstop, and I think if I take a break I'm going to be noticed right away the first person because no one else is doing that so why would I so there's this like mental thing in my head where you have to go as hard as possible like you can't stop and it's like people have been like in, like blown away sometimes with my work ethic when I'm in like full blown work mode but to me it's like am I working hard enough? You know, like, am I working as hard as the next? Cause I don't have those visual cues either. So like I'm constantly going and like almost to the point where people are like, dude, you're crazy. And with the pandemic, you know, like I said, I'm, everything is judo and working out, you know, uh, also motivational speaking and music to like make money on the side to fund my P- Paralympic journey. And I, uh, all of a sudden COVID hits, right? And like everything stops. Everything's shut down. There's no future of anything right at the moment. And we leave Brooklyn. We go to this, uh, her parents had a cabin in, in upstate New York. So we go there to get some space and like try to figure out what our next move is. And the whole time we're up there, you know, I bring some stuff to work out with, like some weights and stuff, and just do like, you know, my CrossFit style workouts. And I'm going hard every day, like constantly going hard, like i'm training for the olympics and there's nothing like nothing in the future and i'm finally getting this plane you know like two months go by and i'm like i don't know what the hell i'm doing like this is really hard to try and train like this with no because you're not just training like you know all right I'll, I'll just do like a today i'll do a light workout it's like no i'm training for the olympics so i have to train hard and it's like next level of training like You know, I'd be fine if I was training just regularly. And so in my mind, I'm thinking Olympics, Olympics. And finally, I'm to the point where it's like, this is getting so hard. You know, I don't even know what the future is. And I called my friend Corey. And I'm like, yo, like, he's, you know, a big influence. He's a good dude, like a great trainer and stuff like that. And I call him like, dude, I don't know. Like, I want to take like a break, dude. Like, my body's so exhausted. My mind is like, can't, almost can't deal with this. And he's like, yo, what are you doing? you got to take some days off. Like, not okay. He's like, you need recovery. Like, you need this. You need... And all this shit hit me, and I'm just like, dude, I'm not... Like, that is what I needed to hear, man. Like, I need to know that it was okay to stop for a sec. Like, it's okay to take, like, a step back. Like, just pause for a minute. And it's... You're not, like... It, it, it's okay. Like that was the main message, you know, and I, that hit me so hard, but it was almost like, once I told like, believed it was okay. It was almost like dealing with a loss because this was my life. And like, that's all I knew. I still love, I still loved working out. So I would still do that. But like the judo was my life at this current moment. And I, uh, I was just like, almost mourning this loss like being mm-hmm. almost a baby about it and finally my fiance's like you know you should focus more on your music and like i i had that in my mind like i was like i do want to focus more on my music so i just started like so then we end up you know moving from brooklyn we found an apartment in spring lake and uh get an apartment like a couple blocks from the beach where i grew up actually so same town where i grew up and like all my family's here and we get engaged and then uh, I start like playing around here. Like I, I play at uh, restaurants and bars and stuff like that. And I was playing outside at a lot of places and even playing on the side of the street for people and like getting tips all to make money, you know? And finally I was making like a full-time career out of it. Like I'm making a lot of money, uh, doing well and have a lot of jobs booked. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting at home and like, like this, this pandemic like sucks, you know, like I want more <laughs> out of it. Like I want to make a mark. Like, so I was sitting home and it's like coming close to election time and all social media is like garbage. Like everyone's just fighting with people. People are like unfollowing people. People are like saying mean things to people that are their friends, like all this stuff, like all this just, you know, separation. And, and just like, it was so toxic. I, I felt it like sitting home. I felt Like, I'm not a political person. I just felt like my heart. I was like, dude, this country right now, like, it's not okay. And I was like, what can I do to make my mark right now? And my fiance works in tech, so she can work from wherever. And, you know, when I was traveling for the tournaments for judo, like we go to, you know, a country like Azerbaijan, I'd have a world championship. And then we go travel around the country for like two weeks and explore and learn so much. And uh, so we're like, we love traveling. We can't travel right now, like out of the country. I love playing music. That's the one way I find that I was like making people happy through all this, like giving them some normalcy and stuff. So I was like, you know, what, what can we do? And we were brainstorming. And we came up with this idea to go, we did a 10,000 mile, seven week, uh, cross country road trip, setting up in, you know, beautiful places across the country, like the Grand Canyon, Telluride, all these places. The first day was Election Day, uh, the in front of the White House, in like the Freedom Square, and with the White House in the background on Election Day, and like we did this tour, you know, and just live streamed, calling it Anthony Ferraro's Blind Busking Tour. Like busking is where you set up on the side of the street or wherever and play for tips, you know. So I was doing it, but live streaming it as well, and playing more in like scenic places. So people at home, sitting home, can't get out of their houses, you know, uh, could almost feel like they were there and enjoy this live music and got like a very good response from it. It was just like a beautiful trip that happened and, you know, almost like a post-engagement trip, but trying to make a a mark during COVID and just spread as much positivity as possible. And it was just, it was incredible.
0: So how did you um, like start to, like get this going? Like it was, you just start going across the country. Like how did that work?
1: It took a lot of planning. Kelly is incredible. My fiance at planning. Uh, We wrote a lot of stuff down. You know, we kind of made a map of where we wanted to go and what places and her sister at the time is pregnant. So we wanted to visit her in Northern California. So we're like, all right, let's, let's uh, make it around that. So like, you know, we did this like figure eight in the country and wrote it out on a map logistically did the dates how long we'd stay in each place and then you know booked like maybe four places in advance but that's about it and then just almost winged the rest of it like we had each place we set up we kind of you know, felt the vibe of each area and then felt what felt right. And then set up there and we did it all through Facebook, but now we're currently putting it all through YouTube, all the videos that we collected from that. And Mm -hmm. then we're also recapping all on Instagram right now too. And it's just been like, it, it was insane. Like, it was almost like, like I said, it's like, you don't know until you try. And so many ideas came out of it. So many things like we freaking, the first uh, so we go to DC and then the next stop's Asheville, uh North Carolina, and we get to Asheville and we uh we get to Asheville, the car breaks down. Wow. And I don't mean break down, like I mean every light comes on in the car, like oh check engine, God. the the brake light, everything. And we bring it to the dealership and they're like, You can get this back to Jersey, but you can't go 10,000 miles with this. And we were like no, we need to go 10,000 miles. Like we're not going back. Like we're doing this. We set out to do this and we're doing this. And we ended up trading in that, that day, we traded the car in for whatever we could get it for, bought a new Subaru and just like, uh, you know, a safer car, like a future car for like a family and stuff. And just made this investment and went on with our trip, you know, didn't let these things stop us. Like, so many things happened where, you know, people were so many great things and so many, like, in, you know, things out of the moment. And it was just like, we did a podcast during it where we were just like, all right, let's just record, like, talking about the last stop and then talking about the next stop, what we're excited about while we're driving to the next spot. And it was just like, you know, anywhere from like 10 to 40 minute talks of us talking about each place and trying to give people a, uh, you know, like what the country was like during COVID from a firsthand view.
0: Mm. And you drove actually, right? During yeah. this trip,
1: we, I, I did drive at one point. So one of the plans was uh, to go to the, the salt flats in Utah. And after park city, we set out to the salt flats and we had no idea. Like we didn't look too much up. We were like, Oh man, like it could be closed because of the weather, we had no idea, like, if you're allowed to just pull off and, and drive. We just were, like, going to wing it. We get there, and, like, we get on the side. Kelly gets out and checks it, and she's like, all right, we're good. And we, like, got on the, get on the soft flats. We switch. You know, I, I've never driven. Like, I've driven a little bit where she showed me how to drive while she's steering and stuff, and just to, like, get used to the gas and stuff like that. And I've never had an experience where I got to, like, sit in the driver's seat and just drive. And – we get on the salt flats and we switch seats and i'm sitting in the driver's seat and i'm like slowly going and i'm she's like all right go wherever and i'm like wait what i was like are we on them and she's like yeah and then all of a sudden like in the video you just hear the car like floor and i'm like (laughs) i just hit the gas so hard i'm like so free at this point like i've never felt like any of my worries you know grief anxiety anything like just didn't exist at that moment i had like the biggest smile on my face I'm screaming freedom. Kelly's freaking out. And I'm like, yo, why are you freaking out? She's like, normal people do not drive this fast. So I like <laughs> slow down and like it was just like this amazing experience. And then we stayed there for like two hours. She like got out of the car, put Bluetooth, like called the car on Bluetooth, and then was directing me while I was driving alone. And like oh my God. I like, I had all these like I was just screaming. I literally not looking out the front window like i'm looking out the side window like my head out the window while i'm driving and like i like i was like i never got to do this before because i'm from jersey and like you know there's sometimes there's angry drivers so like i literally stuck my middle finger out there's no one around i stuck my middle finger out the window i'm like get the out of the road you know i was like honking my horn and style that was amazing
0: that's great Are there any moments other than that that you can recall in your life where you just felt such joy and such freedom and such love, like it seems like you felt in that moment?
1: Oh, man. Uh, That's one of the top moments of my life other than, you know, getting engaged. But, like, that – I'm trying to think like that. You know, I think one of those moments could be – at two of those moments, one time, uh, after my senior year of high school, I did an article for ESPN and someone reached out to me who was this blind guy named Eric Weinmayer who climbed Mount Everest. First blind guy to ever do it. First blind guy to climb all seven largest summits in each continent. And he reached out to me saying, he loved my story. You know, um, asked, you know, asked me if I would consider going with this group to, to hike in peru up sixteen thousand feet for four days and you know going to experience this trail that's like a very remote trail called the Laura's track it's very strenuous and i was like you know i was like i've never hiked before hell yeah you know like <laughs> normally people start out with like the bunny trails but like i was like let's do this you know and like i remember hiking that that journey and just feeling like you couldn't worry about anything else. Cause you're looking at death like the whole time, almost like mm-hmm. there's times where there's like 6,000 foot drop-offs and you're scaling this wall and you're like, all right, I just have to be present now. Like each footstep, like, and you just learn so much on that journey. And it, it, I, I think I was just, and also, you know, a year later I did with a similar group, uh, through him, I did a whitewater rafting trip, 90 miles down the, uh, colorado river in the grand canyon and that was just there was a moment where i uh i got to play guitar like in the grand canyon and in like a cave and it was the most incredible experience so actually i will say every time i play guitar especially like if i have a band and i'm playing electric and you know the band's playing behind me and i get to just throw my head back and like play play guitar I'm just transformed in this moment where, you know, being blind doesn't matter. Nothing matters. And I'm mm. just like, I'm speaking through my guitar. Every emotion I have is like coming out of this guitar. And it, it just feels like sometimes I'll be playing guitar and someone will be trying to talk to me even. And I'm not there. And like, sometimes I'll play a song. I'll come back and I'll be like, oh, like what happened? You know, yeah. and, like, it's, just, it's an unreal experience.
0: That's so beautiful, man. And it reminds me, it makes me think of the idea that music is a universal language that we all can understand. And do you feel that as well?
1: I I cannot say it better. Like that, you know, that's something I say it's, we can, everyone in the world can relate to music in some way. Like there's some, I'd like to find a person where some frequency does not affect their emotion.
0: Mm. What do you mean by that? Expand on that a little bit.
1: Like, so you know the blues for example like that speaks to me like uh, the blues when you're having a bad day the blues helps you know when you're having a good day the blues can even help like it's a feeling like music is totally a feeling it's an emotion and you know each each frequency for even if you're deaf like you you feel these frequencies and you know these frequencies like if i'm whatever you know instrument might grab you whatever sound like it it affects your mood, your emotions, like songs can make you sad songs can make you happy songs. You know, it's even if you're like a emotionless person, man, like <laughs> you feel something from sound from frequency, like that, that sound brings mm. because I, especially being blind, like I absorb myself. Like I love sounds. Like, it's just, I don't know. You know, it's, oh man, it's like a, Amusement park.
0: What are your favorite sounds other than the blues?
1: Uh, I love you know horns like trumpets, saxophones. Uh, I love, I just love music. I love the sound of my Perkins braille writer. It's like this old mm. braille machine, uh, and like it's like a typewriter almost in sense of like you know the old school typewriters. And you're, it, but it has six keys for Braille and you're typing on it, it's these these pins and things are pushing down into the paper and making these noises. And like and then at the end, when you're about to like before you hit the end of the page, it, it'll it the bell will ding. So, you know, to re- bring the receiver back to the uh, beginning of the page and go down a lot. It's just like the sound
0: is so soothing. Why do you think you enjoy that so much?
1: Probably well, because I've been, you know, it's it's a tool I've used a lot of my life, and mm. it's almost like uh, it brings you. Like, I think sometimes we can, people can, uh, you know, like even pictures. It brings you back to a certain time in your life, and like a sound can do the same. Like that sound brings me back to you know learning braille, like typing braille. Like mm. I remember all those things being in Philly, like all these things being exposed to.
0: Wow, that's really I love, interesting.
1: I love the sound of rain too, like thunderstorms. That's like one of my favorite sounds, also.
0: I love it, man. That's that's actually so cool to think about that. You know, sounds can also relate strongly to different periods in your life. I'm gonna stick with that and think about that a little more and think about how that, what sounds I relate to which parts of my life. So
1: I've never gotten to think like it, about it like that too. So I'm glad you asked.
0: Yeah. So one thing I want to talk to you about is one thing you're really proud of, which was winning the sportsmanship award in high school. And talk to me about what that meant to you after um, just your experience in high school.
1: You know, that sportsmanship award to me at the time meant more than any like state title, any, any championship, any win, because it was a win for me in the sense of, I dealt with a lot of, you Know people, those haters like people just not believing I was blind, saying I had an unfair advantage, like not believing I, I was as good as I like, sh- like, showed to be, like all these like doubters and everything. And uh, I'm sorry, I just had a brain fart so bad. You're good, no worries. Well, what was the, the main question? Sportsmanship award. Oh, yeah, sport. Okay, no, so this sportsmanship award <laughs> was uh after dealing with all those things and like i created like a temper almost at a young age from it because i was like angry like i hated being blind at that time in my life i i hated dealing with all that shit like i hated that i had to do it like i just want to be a normal kid so i was angry mm-hmm. you know and people knew i had a temper especially coaches when i was younger so they would try to get to me and they'd try to like you know i never if i lost a match i would always show you know humility and shake the kid's hand walk off like a sports you know like a a, like you should but Mm -hmm. in the sense of dealing with those emotions and dealing with those outlashes where i'd literally like turn around i'd be like shut up like to some coaches some fans like i would get so mad you know and then finally like my junior senior year i really started to address those things meant like to myself that i needed to overcome those and not You know, a lot of people were telling me good influences in my life, too, saying, listen, you can't let these things get to you. And people can see that they're getting to you and they they use that. And so I started just working on myself and and not letting those things get to me and just putting it into my training, putting into everything else. And I think that really showed. And then receiving that award was like almost like, hey, like all this was recognized. If even if it wasn't, it was for me. You
0: know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's powerful that you know. One of the things that stood out in the in the film was just how you know your your temper was was so strong, and you were you would outlash. And that was one of the things your coaches said was like the one way someone could beat you exactly. was get inside your head. And and is so crazy because it's like you're just a high school kid, but the sportsmanship award is a way for someone to recognize that you've almost gotten around that temper and, and been able to harness it in a way. So did you also feel that?
1: Exactly. Yes, 100% like I with that getting in my head thing. It's like like you said I was in high school like why does that have to be the thing? Like why do adults in my life have to formulate these plans to get in my head so their kids who aren't physically better than me can beat me so by me messing up and getting, you know, loose and then temper and like stuff like that. So I was my, I was my biggest enemy. Like I was my worst opponent every time. Like I would, I was in my head all the time. And it was something I had to battle a lot.
0: Hmm. Now switching gears, kind of you've blown up on TikTok. I think you have over 400,000 followers, something like that. And you're absolutely, you've struck a chord with people and I'm curious why you think you've just catapulted in the in the TikTok world. All right. So I, I will correct you because I don't wanna
1: I, I wish it was four hundred whatever followers, but uh we started two and a half weeks ago and we went from like thirty followers to you know twenty five or like twenty four K right now. Twenty four K. Which is still, you know, in my mind, such extreme rapid growth where I'm like, wow, like people are that interested in my story and stuff. So uh, two and a half weeks ago, I did a video like kind of I had all these videos put up from the tour where we were going around the country just of me playing in these different spots where Kelly just took like 10 second clips and put them up just so I had content there. We weren't getting any hits and like we weren't trying to really. And finally, we you know, get home. And we start working on stuff, start studying some stuff like algorithms and just different different social media platforms and make this video introducing myself, you know, saying I'm Anthony Ferraro. Like I look I look pretty normal. Right. And like I'm like, there's thing <laughs> different about me. Like I'm, I'm blind. And, you know, it's I show up with my cane and then it's like, but I wrestle or surf, skateboard, uh, do judo and like show all these things. And you know, I go to sleep and it has like a hundred views wake up. It has 35,000 views and I have like <laughs> 900 followers. And I'm like, what the hell happened? You know? And uh Kelly's like, it went viral. <laughs> I was like, Oh, is that what that is? And uh, all these, all these people like sending all these like wonderful messages and stuff. And then, you know, we continued to put more content out and getting all these hits. Like uh, we had a video hit like 750,000 views and like, about me explaining my braille writer uh, me talking about how I skateboard uh, while I'm skateboarding, got like 550 K views. Like, and then, you know, the followers just kept coming and it's funny because with all this rapid growth and like, I finally like, it's more trying to put myself out there be more vulnerable to people on the internet because I only give you so much on certain platforms and I'm trying to like, just be totally transparent and got such a, you know, positive response. But while that's, that's happening, you have all these people, it brings it all right back to like high school wrestling and stuff where it's like, you're not blind. Like, how are you mm. blind? You're not blind. How are you responding to comments? Like you're <laughs> not blind, like you can't skateboard if you're blind, like all this stuff. And it was just like, it was just funny. And like, I, I refuse to be negative like with that because I'm trying to just spread positivity on these platforms. I'm trying to educate, inspire, motivate, and just like, you know, help as many people as possible that need it. And, you know, I respond to these comments, like just try and educate, like, Oh, I am blind. And like, even uh, the other day, we actually did a video of me dropping in on the half pipe blindfolded. I'm like, I had to do it. You guys, like, <laughs> believe me. and uh, it's just been fun, but also, you know, just dealing with those comments, but trying to keep it going, and you know it's obviously rapid growth. But what do you do with that, and how do you keep it going is the main concern. But just keep riding with that. And Kelly kept telling me I've wanted a dog for a long time, and Kelly told me if I hit ten thousand followers on something or wrote a song, I could get a dog. And I hit twenty thousand followers, I <laughs> got and wrote two songs, and. She, On Valentine's Day, she brailed me out a letter saying she adopted us a puppy. So I'm like, like, that's the next thing coming up, too, is you have to go pick up my dog on Sunday. And I'm so excited about that. So that was a cool uh, kind of accomplishment in in the growth. You know, thinking like three weeks ago, I'm like, I'm never going to hit 10,000 followers. Like, this is never going to happen. And then like a week later at 15,000 followers, I'm like, what? You know, it was really... It's just cool to see, I'm trying to reach the younger generation too. And like, you have to make pivots to be a parent in in this world. So like, no one's going to know if you don't put yourself out there and you have to just keep going. And even if content's not doing well at first, we've been building content for the past three years. So we've like almost (laughs) been preparing for this moment and, you know, something she kept telling me that i repeat to myself every day now is something uh from you actually about the uh a library of content is way more valuable valuable than one viral moment and mm-hmm. it, it, sorry if that's wrong but no that's right exa- so that has resonated so much that we've just been building and building this library of content you know uh youtube instagram and and all this stuff and, you see the slow trickle, like things are mm-hmm. starting to pick up a little bit here and there, and it's like even if it's not rapid, it's still growth, and it's still happening like over the last week uh two two weeks as well I've gained like this is I'm really proud of because it's all organic as well, and you know gaining Instagram followers is like really hard right now, I don't know why, but I've gained like five hundred followers in the past like two and a half week or i i want to say month, and that was like a real big accomplishment,
0: I think. Well, congratulations. And that's exactly what I say. And, and the thing is, it's like in three years when everyone knows who you are, it's going to be like, because you've been putting out content for the past six years, Does do they say, oh, wow, now I can go check him out and see what he's done three years ago. And, and it gives you way more opportunities for people to really find you. And with the 440,000 followers, It was actually likes. You've been liked 400.
1: That's right. Yes. Yeah.
0: And, and also this'll be going out in March. So by the (laughs) time it goes out in March, maybe you will be at 440,000 followers. (laughs) Never know. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, so what advice would you, you mentioned that you've been putting out content for the past three years or, or building a library for the past three years. What advice would you give someone to who's putting out content for the first time is maybe in their first few weeks of doing that. What advice do you have for that person?
1: I think it's important. Uh, what do you want out of putting your content out? Like, who mm-hmm. do you want to be? Like, who who are you, first of all? what What is your product? Or are you your product? Are you what you're trying to market? And, you know, I think it's important to... Give your why and give your story, you know, what brought you to this point, not just show up one day and expect all these people to just follow you because <laughs> you know, all this stuff you need to introduce yours. These people have no idea who you are. And, you know, if you want to go that route, you need to be. It sucks because you have to be vulnerable sometimes like mm-hmm. to show who you are. And that really resonates with people, you know, being vulnerable, being in front of the camera, opposed to just you know, pictures and stuff, uh, I think is a big thing, you know, hearing your voice, hearing you talk, uh, engaging, that's huge. If you're engaging, you need to be engaging with your audience that every follower matters, every com, every person comments matters, because they're all helping you get to your next goal.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's the the mindset that I've tried to embody with this podcast as well. So how do you practically uh, like start responding to comments. I know you you had a TikTok video about it, but talk about how you respond to comments and how you interact and engage with people who follow you.
1: Yeah, so it's a full time job at this point. Um, it's <laughs> really hard. Uh, I do the the absolute best I can because it matters to me. Um, I have a every iPhone has an app or has an accessibility feature in the settings called VoiceOver, and it basically it reads out the screen and. I, what I do is I, you know, I, I go to the comment, I read the comment with the voiceover, like the whole time my phone's reading what's going on the screen. And if I want to select something, I double tap it. And if I want to like go to move to the next item, I just swipe right or left. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, you know, go into reply on the comment and either I'll type it out on the keyboard or I'll just do voice to text, uh, like voice to speech or text, whatever it is. <laughs> speech- yeah uh, but yeah, so I'll do that and, and just reply to each comment. And then sometimes when I'm getting too overwhelmed, I'll sit with Kelly and she'll read comments to me and then I'll tell her what to write.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That, that, that sounds like a good strategy as well. Um, so finally, before we wrap it up, you know, what message do you want someone who watches a shot in the dark to come away with?
1: Well, first of all, I just want to say that, like, A Shot in the Dark is a complete love story uh, in my eyes because it was filmed by my brother, Oliver, who, you know, he was my older brother, my big brother. He, uh, he's a big inspiration in my life, and he, like, captured all of this in my life, my my entire senior year of high school wrestling, uh, dealing with adversity, overcoming challenges. And, you know, he he believed so much in, in me in what I was doing and that people needed to see it, that he, uh, he captured all of this all independently filmed out of pocket with a partner. And, you know, two years later, when the first 15 minutes of the film gets put together and he's going to watch it, he passes away the day before, and he never gets to see any of it. And it was just like a huge blow. And after that, you know, Chris, the partner came and he, he came to the funeral and and vowed to me basically saying like, whatever it takes, I'm finishing this film, like for your brother and for you. And he did just that in the next year and a half. And we raised, like we had to raise money on Kickstarter. So we, he put the trailer and explaining what it was like, like how the story behind it. And we had to raise, he put like $30,000 for the month. And we ended up raising that in like four days and six hours. And then raising like $87,000 at the end of the, the end of the month. And we finished the film and it's like a beautiful film. Like, you know, basically a, it's a gift from my brother and Chris for me. And it, if this film could help one person, that's my goal in life. Like, you know, if you can getting what you could get out of this film is like, you know, there's life challenges. Life sucks sometimes. And like, it's real. And like, there's raw moments in your life where you want to give up and like you just need to understand that it's not an option like to give up. You have to keep moving forward. You have to, you know, and you're not going to be able to do everything in life. by yourself. Like if you look back to my film, I had a team of people that were constantly in my ear and pushing me because they believed in me and you need to find those people in your life because you can't do it alone. And you know, it's important to have a team, you know, you're not going to go anywhere just by yourself solo with no one. And You know, I know so many people. Last thing I want to add is just so many people ask me, like, what's it like doing these things with a disability, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, my answer blank is the only disability is a bad attitude, because in life I know people that are sitting at home feeling sorry for themselves, have nothing wrong with them. You know physically they're just making excuses or i need to get a job then go get one like there's a you can do that and i know people in wheelchairs that people would see them on the street saying oh you know poor blah 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 in a wheelchair that person when you don't see them out on the street they're literally trying to climb mountains in the like literally i've i've seen it i've been there like there's people in wheelchairs trying to climb mountains like they're climbing mountains not trying like doing whatever it takes rock climbing doing all these things and in life, you don't have to do, you know, you don't have to be crazy. You don't have to be a person in a wheelchair climbing mountains, but it's like, what's your mountain that you want to climb in life and just do it. And it takes, you know, that first step, just getting up and that's all you have to do.
0: That's exactly what the, the poster of the podcast is about. The logo is, is a man looking up at a mountain and you embody that so tremendously. I want to also give my deepest condolences about your brother and ask you how does one deal with the emotional loss like that and how do you move forward
1: you know thank you first of all and that's a great question because if you find the answer uh if there's a clear answer i'll take it (laughs) but i i've just learned through my experiences that you know you'll never get that why like why is why did this happen you'll never really fully get that why But, you know, loss is a normal part of life and it's it's going to happen and it's a cycle of life. But we need to understand, you know, that person's still with us and like it's our job to keep them alive through memories, through stories and they're they're fully, I fully believe in everything I do that my brother's with me, like all my traveling, all my competing, like he set me up to do all this. I'm like, you're an asshole because now I'm left here trying to figure all this shit out. And like, you just left me no roadmap. Really? You know, (laughs) he's like, here, I gave you all the tools. You make the map. And it was like, but why couldn't we talk about it? You know, (laughs) that drives me crazy sometimes. Like it literally literally will drive you crazy. And my my advice for that person that gets in that deep rut, too, of like that full dark hole of, you know, why isn't this person here? Like, it's almost like this, you know, burning urge to just touch that person one more time. to Just talk to them one more time. Do anything with them one more time. And like it, it literally will drive a person insane if they completely go down that rabbit hole like i believe that you could go mentally insane so my i i can't stress hard enough when you're having those days that it's okay to sit there and you know grieve like feel that sadness feel the anger feel the emotions behind it in a healthy way in a safe space but it's important after grieving you know give yourself a little time but don't spend days in that grief and get up and walk outside. And even if it's cold out, bundle up. Just get outside and you know, just breathe in the air. Be thankful that you're here and just enjoy life and just try to be present now and not obsess over the past or cry over the future. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you for giving your input. Finally, last question I have for you is: What advice do you have? For someone who's pursuing the highest version of themselves, whether that's mentally, physically, spiritually, what advice do you have to that person?
1: Uh, My advice is set your goals higher than you could ever imagine that you ever believed yourself, you know, getting to set your goals through the moon. Because if you fall short, you're right on the moon and that's where you're supposed to be. And, you know, I I set my goals so high in life, like they're almost on like you know the people will be like that's not like realistic and i'm like really because if i miss this goal then i'm going to be right here and that's where i care about being so like i can't get there if i don't shoot to be there so like always shoot past where you're trying to be because you're going to get too comfortable sometimes
0: i absolutely love it anthony say thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it where can people find you if they want more anthony ferraro in their life
1: Oh, thank you so much, Danny. I really, it's a pleasure being here. You could find me at asfvision.com and it has all my links there to A Shot in the Dark on Amazon Prime. It's going to be on iTunes soon. It probably will be by the time this is put out. Uh, And then also, you know, there's my TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Facebook, everything's there, podcast, blah, blah, blah. So asfvision.com. And Danny, it's really been a pleasure. I can't thank you enough for having me on here. So thank you for your time.
0: My pleasure. And it's those links will all be in the show notes at dannymiranda.com slash podcast as well. And thank you, Anthony. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That was my conversation with Anthony Ferraro. If you enjoyed it or you have any feedback about the episode, let me know on Twitter at HeyDannyMiranda. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And looking forward to your thoughts about the podcast. Just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening until the final seconds. If you have made it this far, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.